in every other job in magazines, you're just another editor or writer. But when you're the editor in chief, you're treated as an authority. And that was a very scary and uncomfortable thing for me at first, because I thought, well, what, what am I to people? I don't have the background that all these people do. But what I came to realize is that entrepreneurs are risk takers and entrepreneurs are comfortable putting themselves in situations that they don't know anything about and absorbing and learning and finding patterns. And that's what I've been doing my entire career. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. Now, this week, I could not be more fired up. We've got Jason Pfeiffer on the show, and Jason is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. This is a big deal for me. I grew up reading that magazine. I would uh, study that magazine, try to get all the tips I could out of it when I was getting ready to start my business. And so I've got a ton of questions for Jason. And since I'm so focused on him, I wanted to try to do something easy today. So we have two chickens over here. We're going to do two whole chickens, which is one of my favorite things to do. It's super easy. Of course, you can hit it with some Alabama white sauce when you're done. Just liberally season them uh, top and bottom all over. And we're going to put these guys on there at 375. I'm going to hit it with the really sticky chicken. I'm going to hit it with the grill spray. This is the duck fat method, which I love. Yep. Probably get that sizzle there. All right. Chicken's on, and let's talk some entrepreneurship. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's just, I'm so pumped to have you here. Uh, as I said in the intro, I grew up reading Entrepreneur Magazine and just trying to like gleam as much information as I can. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your background? How long have you been with the magazine and what sort of led you up to that point in your career? Oh yeah. So I have been with entrepreneurs since 2015. I became editor in chief in 2016. I happened to arrive by great fortune nine months before the editor in chief was taken off. Wow. And so that created an opening. Yeah. I, you know, it's like you make your own luck, right? But That's right. sometimes it's just about timing. Harder you and work, the luckier you get, right? Yeah, it's right. And so I made this pitch when I had the chance to possibly be editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And the pitch was basically this. I said, look, this brand has been thinking of itself as a small business brand for a very long time. But the word entrepreneur no longer means just small business person to the degree that anybody for the past 40-something years that the brand had been around knew the word entrepreneur or knew how to spell it at least. And now is a moment where the word entrepreneur is a cultural word. It's a badge of pride. It is an identity. And I think that we have an opportunity to think bigger and speak differently to people. And the way that we're going to do that is by identifying the one thing that everybody who calls themselves an entrepreneur has in common. And that is the experience of entrepreneurship, the feelings of loneliness and feeling crazy and problem solving your way through walls. You can get a thousand entrepreneurs into a room from people who are selling stuff on eBay to venture back to you know, Silicon Valley CEOs. And the experience of entrepreneurship is relatable among all of them. So that's where I wanted to live. And that's how we've been building the brand. You know, I, I me mean, not alone, but uh, but I came in at a good time where there were a number of other people who were just starting out there. And, uh, you know, together we've really built this into uh, something we're really proud of and that a lot of entrepreneurs find value in. Did you have a background in entrepreneurship before you got into this role? 
No, the opposite. Really? No. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, which is so common for entrepreneurs, right? You're, yeah. you're doing something else and then you're an entrepreneur. No, I have a media background. So my background, I started as a community newspaper reporter, local newspaper reporter. I got into magazines. I worked at Boston Magazine, then I moved to New York for Men's Health, then Fast Company, and bounced around, wrote uh, for and edited for a lot of magazines. Entrepreneur, I'll be honest with you, when I first got the job, I saw it as a magazine job. I saw it as a let's do something great with a magazine. And it wasn't until about a year in after talking to entrepreneurs, after absorbing the way that they think, after trying to figure out the role that I played for them, because I, you know, I, in every other job, in magazines, you're just another editor or writer. But when you're the editor in chief, you're treated as an authority. And that was yeah. a very scary and uncomfortable thing for me at first because I thought, well, what what am I to people? I don't have the background that all these people do. But what I came to realize is that entrepreneurs are risk takers and entrepreneurs are comfortable putting themselves in situations that they don't know anything about and absorbing and learning and finding patterns. And that's what I've been doing my entire career. And I ended up leaning into the parts of it that I could really relate to, which was the personal connection and the personal challenges and the struggle to adapt and to reinvent yourself. And then all the tactical stuff, well, that's what, you know, that's what experts are for. And that's when I bring them in. It's an unintentional segue into something I wanted to ask you. So you actually wrote an article recently. Um, I believe the guy's name was Armin Jane or something. Jane um, mm. was an entrepreneur you wrote about and you wrote about Naveen, Naveen, Naveen Jane. Jane, Naveen Jane. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the whole article was about a person uh, coming into an industry from the outside and the advantages that you can have as an outsider. And it sounds like you kind of had that in your own personal journey. Yeah, very much so. And I think that it did give me an advantage because I was able to start to recognize patterns because I was looking at everything from the outside coming in. And then, and this was so important, is I got to also chronicle my own evolution because I changed. Being around entrepreneurs changes you. And I started to think of myself as an entrepreneur, started to act more entrepreneurially, started my own media company, started a whole bunch of revenue generating products. I have reinvented myself, my idea of my career. I, I came to, you know, one of the biggest moments of change for me was in 2018, my wife and I put out a romantic comedy. We'd been working on it for years, oh, a novel, a romantic comedy. It was called Mr. Nice Guy. And when we we you know we started writing this long before I got to entrepreneur but it came out when I was editor in chief of entrepreneur and we got two totally different reactions based on who we were talking to so friends writer friends people in media they would say when they heard that we sold this book they would say that's awesome congratulations that's so cool when i would tell entrepreneurs that i sold this book they would say oh that's interesting what are you going to do with it <laughs> and well, you know, and you can probably see why, right? Because because for entrepreneurs, and this is what I came to realize, I thought a lot about like why are these these two reactions? I came to realize that entrepreneurs think vertically. 
which is to say that the only reason to do something is because it is the foundation upon which the next thing will be built. Whereas most people think horizontally, which is to say, I'm going to do something and then I'm going to move along and do something else. I'm going to move along and do something else. And the power of thinking vertically of thinking of everything that you do as a foundation for what's next. It doesn't have to be linear. It's not that you do one thing because it will lead to the next thing, but yeah. rather that you're always mindful of how the previous experience that you had can inform the next thing that you do. And that if you have some kind of success, you can build upon it. You can understand that audience. You have doors that are open that you should walk through and figure out what's on the other side. That's not something that most people think about, but it is something that entrepreneurs think about. And the more that I absorbed that, the more it absolutely changed me. I think the best entrepreneurs are growth minded, right? And that's a growth mindset of thinking that, you know, things are a stepping stone. And it's not that where you are is not good enough, but it's trying to grow. I am actually have gone through that with this podcast, right? This is the first mm. time in my career that I've started something and allowed myself to kind of let it marinate a little bit, right? And not like mm -hmm. immediately try to be like, you know, make sure you go to shop.slowsmokebusiness.com, you know, and, and start right, buying right. a bunch of things because I was trying to just let it kind of ride and grow. And that's how I got to this thing where I'm cooking in the middle of a show was because I was allowing myself to experiment and play around um, without the you know, my, my mind tells me like, you know, what, how is this thing becoming profitable and how's this going to, how's it going to grow mm -hmm. and how's it going to, and sometimes you got to allow yourself to back up, especially if you're creating something that's creative. Right. Um, yeah. but entrepreneurship, the best entrepreneurs I think are always focused upward and trying to figure out, you know, how do you grow? So I guess the question is you wrote this book, the book is called mm -hmm. build for tomorrow, right? Yep. Um, it is a, it's, it's so it's a book about recognizing change and figuring mm -hmm. out how to deal with that. What are you doing with the book? Right? How you put you put the book out? How long ago? September. September. So, yeah, we're we're talking in March of twenty three, and I put it out in September of twenty two. Okay, so not even not even half a year, really, yeah. a little over mm -hmm. half a year. Um, what's the reaction been to what you were talking about? Oh well, I mean, the reaction has been incredibly powerful. The book is. Build for Tomorrow. It's a book about how to adapt, how to recognize moments of change and disruption as major opportunities, and how to harness the panic that we all feel when change comes to us and then use that to propel us forwards instead of to cling to what came before. And I wrote it because I found that the most successful people who I met along this journey are the most adaptable. It, it struck me as the core skill set for somebody who wants to go out and build something for themselves. And I wanted to understand what they were doing, how they were developing that. I, I came to believe that adaptability is a skill, not something you're born with. And so it's something you can learn. And it's been remarkable, as anybody knows, as I'm sure you know, when you put something out in the world, you just don't know how it's going to connect with people. I've yeah. heard unbelievable stories from people about how this reached them at the exact right moment to navigate all sorts of change, some of which I address directly in the book, work-related, but also people navigating very complicated personal things and family things. And it's it's been pretty amazing. But you know, something that you said earlier about, well, how do I make use of it? How do you understand what its purpose is? I, I have actually I have a whole chapter dedicated to this question. The question is, what is it for? I think it's incredibly important 
to have in your head an answer to, and then constantly re-ask it of everything that you do. What is it for? So that you have some sense of the purpose that it plays, and you also have some way to understand what success does or does not look like. And for me, when I was conceiving of the book, and then you know it came out, it came out on a major publisher, Penguin Random House, I always thought, okay, this book is a book to help me establish an authority in a space that I've been writing about and talking about for a long time, but don't have like a product that's just about this. Because, you know, Entrepreneur is a very broad publication, but if I can have this book, then that's a real calling card for this is what I speak to and this is how I can be helpful to you. I I do a lot of work with companies. I travel around speaking a lot and I wanted to make sure that I had something that was really clear and concise and could say, this is my value to you. Because I think if you can clarify that for others, then business opportunities open up. So I was never worried about, oh, let's make the best time, the best seller list or whatever. Those, you know, that would have been nice. I really wanted to make sure I built something that was impactful and that was going to reach people. And that was an opportunity for me to broadcast my message and make sure people knew who I was and how I could be useful. Well, and it's a book about change in a in a period of time where I mean, I guess we always feel like things are changing, but the change that has happened over the last three years has been, you know, dizzying, right? And I yeah. guess one of the things I wanted to ask you as you put this book together, this may sound like a little bit of a weird question. I'm actually going to check the grill while we're doing this, but yeah, check that chickens out. Chickens in here, and so yeah, I know we're not uh, we're not yet able to get you to eat the chicken with me, yeah. but I'm hoping that if this episode goes well, there's a future date. Or maybe we can share some food in person and we'll do a great episode there. I mean, that sounds excellent. This is really just a temptation to <laughs> somehow get down to your grill. That's right. Listen, come down to the South. We, we don't, yeah. it's not all just uh, football and, and uh, <laughs> you know, outhouses out here. We do start businesses and do things and uh, we also grill out. Yeah, you're you're I, just I don't know for listeners who may not understand exactly the process here, but I, I when I agreed to be on the show, I did not understand that slow smoked business meant that there would be slow smoking during the business. <laughs> so I got this email from your producer, which I'm just going to read, which said, "Just to let you know, he plans to talk about your book as well as entrepreneurship as a whole, which is ha- which is happening. He'll also be grilling two whole chickens Alabama style during the show today." That made me laugh out loud. I did not know that was happening. So I want to say, I um, I was worried that the only reason you came on the show was for the cooking. And so now this has lifted <laughs> my self-esteem to a level that I did not know I was going to get to. So yeah, hey, we we cook again. You know, I try to do this show so that it's not, um, you know, there's like the Gary V kind of world out there where we're going to, you know, bang our chest and whatever. I love Gary V. And then there's like sort of yeah, love- like this kind of Harvard Business School world where you sort of come at problems very intellectually and you don't talk a lot Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about practical things it's more sort of up in the air and this this podcast for me was um kind of a love letter to the process that you go through Mm. as an entrepreneur right which is Mm -hmm. you cook something on a grill and it's a slow process that builds and you can't just do it overnight it has to be on there you have to you know, prepare for it. You have to react to what things are happening. And it's just a good yeah. parallel for what it means to grow and build a great business. You have to prepare, but you never know what's going to happen. Uh, when I, before this show, I, the grill caught on fire when I was getting oh, no. ready to do this, I had to put it out and you just never yeah. know what kind of things are going to get thrown at you. 
both in grilling and in starting a business. And it's a good parallel of what it means to build something over time. It's a nice metaphor. Also that you don't see what's happening all the time. Yeah. We don't know what's happening in there right now. We don't see it. Chicken's going to be doing anything. I, you know, I've, I've said this before too, and it, it doesn't, I don't know. It's, it's not a, it's not a shot at the guys that built Instagram, but the guys that built Instagram launched that product and sold it for, you know, a a gajillion dollars, a billion dollars in like 18 months. And those stories do so much in my mind to warp people's expectations on what it means to build something meaningful and succeed. And those things do happen. But if you're trying to shoot for that, it's just a, it's a recipe for failure. It's better. I don't know. The, the playbook that I know is a slow build where you learn and you iterate. I have this thing I've said on the show a million times, progress over perfection, right? Mm-hmm. We try not, we don't try to be perfect at something. We try to make progress. Every time we do something, we iterate on it, do the best thing you can do today. And then you can do something better the next time after learning what you just learned and you keep doing that. And you know, my experience has been yeah. you get further along with that process than you do with trying to build the perfect thing right out of the gate. I think that's exactly right. And that's also just a more realistic way of thinking about the thing that you're going to build. And in a way, it goes back to something that I said about the book a second ago, which was we need to define success. We need to define it for ourselves. Because if you go into business and you think that the only thing that counts as success is the next Instagram, well, you know, just the chances are, the odds are stacked against you. Right. But if you think that success looks like I'm going to build something meaningful and it's going to matter to people, it's going to matter to my family, it's going to provide a great living, it's going to have brought something into the world that's mine. Well, success suddenly feels more achievable and attainable. And look, everybody's going to take a different path. And some people are going to go out and raise a bazillion dollars from venture capital. And the only way that they can succeed is if they go and 10x everybody's money. But that's not the only way to build a business. And I think people need to understand that. And you're right that the stories that we tell about business can confuse that. I, I, I was having a conversation about this not long ago with Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, actually. And I said to Barbara that, and I love Barbara, by the way, oh, I, love I said too. to Barbara that um, she, she, you know, I said, look, I, I love Shark Tank. I, I watch every episode of Shark Tank, but the, the, oh, the downside of Shark Tank is that it has told a story to so many people that the only way to start a business the only way to get something out into the world is to go out and raise a whole bunch of money from very high-powered investors. Yeah. And that's that's not true. It, it It is true in some kinds of businesses, but it's not wholly true. And in fact, the crazy thing about Shark Tank, of course, is that the majority, the vast majority of entrepreneurs who are on Shark Tank would never in real life, cameras not rolling, ever be in front of those kinds of investors or maybe <laughs> any investors. With their organic dog treats or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And and Barbara totally agrees with all of that. I mean, she does not dispute any of that. And and that's not to say that Shark Tank is in, in intentionally telling the story. It's not. It's it's actually a wonderful story about dreaming and achieving those dreams. And I think that Shark Tank does so many great things. But but that that right there, I think, is a is a misunderstanding of what you need and what success has to look like. That I think also warps people's understanding of what it is that they need to do or want to do. 
with that and, and sort of the, the hero worship of guys like Steve Jobs over the last 20 years and the books and movies that get written about those guys. And there's this, you know, that picture of an entrepreneur. I thought it was really interesting when in your info in, intro, you were saying that Entrepreneur Magazine was talking uh, when you came on board was a small business focused uh, kind of outfit. And I think it's interesting because in 2023, I would think mm. that when you say the word entrepreneur, the average person doesn't associate it right away with, you know, the restaurant down the street or the person that opened up a barbershop or no. the person, which is, that's absolutely entrepreneurship, right? Entrepreneurs have that's become right. um, synonymous with the Steve Jobs, Bill Gates technology kind of ascent. And while that's certainly, I mean, that was the path I took, but that's, that's not the only way to build a business. And I think, um, that that is the negative side of Shark Tank. I would say the good side, though, is I think it's made the average person think through the guts of taking an idea and really stress testing it. And when you watch Damon John or Mark Cuban just rip an idea to shreds, mm-hmm. you know, if you're paying attention, if you ever thought about learning, you know, or running a business, you learn, you go, oh, yeah, that does. I don't understand my market. Oh, I am going to need more yeah. money to. You know, those kinds of things, those lessons were a lot harder to attain um, before that show came out. Oh, yeah. And that is an incredibly powerful thing to see. And at first, what it looks like is just people ripping ideas apart. But then what you really come to understand is that it's people stress testing ideas. And entrepreneurs know how to stress test ideas. They know how to stress test decisions in a way that is not intuitive to the average person. And spending time absorbing that is really powerful because also what it does is it detaches you from the original idea. Oftentimes what you hear, I mean, you hear it on Shark Tank, but you should hear it in in any conversation about business, any, any entrepreneurial conversation, is that it has to be about how do we ultimately create something that succeeds at its core mission? of helping people and solving problems and that the way that it does it and the way it gets there can, can be infinite. And, you know, I, I remember talking to Dwayne, the rock Johnson and Danny Garcia, his business partner. And they said, you know, we're not attached to process. We're only attached to outcome, which I really love, which is to say that they, they setting out to build something and all they care about is how they can get to the finished product of, serving people of whatever it is of making people happy of growing something and how they get there and what's required to get there and what does the product ultimately look like that is up for discussion because if you are too attached to every stage of something then you're never ever going to give yourself the freedom and flexibility to figure out how to actually do it right which goes back to the reason why i believe that adaptability is such a core skill for success so is that what it is you, you think adaptability is that the main unifying concept that's a, if you look at a successful entrepreneur, it's the person that can change? Or is, is that the one thing? Because that, that was going to be my next question was, you know, few people have the vantage point of entrepreneurship that you do, Jason. So yeah. if you look at people that are successful, and then you've obviously seen people that aren't successful, is adaptability the main character trait that separates those two groups of people? Or is there something else? Well, I, you know, I mean, look, you can't simplify the chaos of every entrepreneur down into one thing, but my where I put my stake is in is in that adaptability is is a, is a core, if not the core, skill. There are others we could we could list them off. Um, 
having a higher risk tolerance than other people, um, being willing to try things that you don't know anything about, and then learning over and over, right? Be, being a being a forever learner, I think, is an important skill for entrepreneurs. Um, you know, understanding how to be passionate but also reasonable, uh, so that you're not attached to something simply because you like it but rather you're able to see a bigger picture. Being able to detach yourself from individual circumstances to understand that, you know, you're, you're I, we're, we're running a story right now. Uh, I'm editing a story. So there's a little preview of, um, of, of an upcoming issue of the magazine, but I was just, I was just reading a first draft of a, a piece today that engages in a way with Google X, which is the kind of moonshot factory over at Google. Oh, yeah. And they say that what they want their team to be is passionately dispassionate, which I think is a wonderful phrase. The idea of passion, being passionately dispassionate is to say that you want to be absolutely passionate about solving big problems, but you have to be dispassionate about the way in which you're trying to do them. Mm. So if you have an idea and you test it out and it doesn't quite work, you can't be so attached to the idea that you don't recognize that it's not ultimately going to scale. Right. And that means that you have to be passionately dispassionate. And, and, and that is also a core skill I think that entrepreneurs need. And that is very, very hard to learn. Once you get there, it, it, it becomes a superpower. It means yeah. that you can walk through incredibly fluctuating situations and, identify some part of it that does not change, the thing that does not change in times of change. But that is not something that comes naturally to most people. What, what an interesting way to look at it. I mean, it's sort of like saying you have to be passionately pragmatic or objective. And I think those two words are words that I've used often about people that I know that are really successful is that they're very objective and they're very, um, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs I've ever been around are like, are curious, right? And they don't, yeah. you know, the further, the more successful you become, the more, convinced you become that you don't have all the answers, right? And there's nothing right. like, uh, I saw somebody online say this phrase, and I loved it recently, where there's everyone goes through this phase when they're young, where they're loud and wrong, right? And they just, <laughs> yeah. they kind of right. think they have all the answers. And I think the further you get into life, the, the more you realize that you're not supposed to have all the answers. And it's the pursuit of the right answer in a pragmatic way. And pragmatic meaning, like, to your point, you're not being so uh, emotional that you've got to be the one with the right answer that allows you to sort of, you know, maneuver your way to what the solution is going to be, um, and kind of ferret out all the bad ideas. Even if those bad ideas are yours, that's hard for some entrepreneurs to do it's, but it's, it's amazing. You, you talked about Dwayne Johnson a minute ago. There's no, I mean, that guy was a football player and then a wrestler, and now he's like this huge entrepreneurship guy who's running a big football league now and doing all these great things. And I think that just sort of goes to show you that it really, to your point earlier, it's, it can be a learned skill to do these kinds of things. If you approach this type of a challenge with the right mindset. That's right. There's a reason why I've heard over and over again from the most accomplished people from Richard Branson to Ryan Reynolds say that one of their favorite phrases is, I don't know is just being willing to say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how to do that. Because if you say that, well, guess what? That then opens up the possibility of identifying other people who do, who know it better than you. And the greatest leaders that I've ever met or worked with were people who were willing to say, I don't know. It is something that I try to do all the time in my own life. 
because yeah, you're right. Everybody goes through the phase, and I sure did when I was a kid of oh, yeah. being loud and wrong. And I want to check myself on that and recognize that uh, there's no point in being loud and wrong right now because loud and wrong doesn't get you anywhere. So I like to be steady and surrounding myself with right. I don't know what the opposite of loud and wrong is. Like, what is it? Like muted and curious? Well, right, I'm not yeah. sure, right? But yeah, I mean, it's funny because you don't actually want to be the opposite of loud and wrong, that's right? True. Which is to say, you don't want to be, you don't want to just be like quiet and right. You don't want to be like Silent Bob <laughs> in the background all the time, right? But what you do want to do is think is you want to make sure that you have a steady hand, that you're being always thoughtful and mindful and that you're surrounding yourself with great people and that you're also treating them incredibly well. And that ultimately you're building something that matters to other people and that you found that balance between serving your goals and serving others. Is there a trend at the magazine that you see right now in the entrepreneurship world that's that's not being talked about yet, either a bad trend or a good trend? Like where do you think the concept of entrepreneurship is going in America? It's such a disparate community of people who call themselves entrepreneurs. And the number of new business applications in America continues to be at, at, at least a decade long record highs. And so it's hard to say that people are all doing or thinking one thing, but I, in talking to people about what are the big trends or where are the big opportunities, the thing that I often hear people talk about is what some people have called to me boring spaces. <laughs> you know, that we've spent the last many number of years, particularly at least, you know, look, again, like anything, you can't simplify it down to any one thing. But if you're at least going to talk about the kinds of businesses that got a lot of attention, that drove media narrative, what you're talking about are very flashy Silicon Valley businesses that were largely driven by convenience. It's the Ubers and Airbnbs yeah, yeah. of the world. And those are great. I use both of them. But there is so much opportunity in the unsexy, in the boring spaces, in agriculture, in transportation, in insurance, in healthcare, in whatever. These are places that are desperate for innovation and where there's still quite a lot of white space and where, you know, fine, you may not end up on the cover of a magazine because you did something that's going to really impact the ag tech industry. But that changes people's lives. That impact, these are the things that people engage with every single day, food, health, transportation. And so I have seen a lot of energy being diverted into these spaces. I see a lot of investors, you know, again, to our conversation, not that you need investors to get into any space, but I've seen a lot of investors also start to recognize major opportunities there. And then also that tracks with some other trends that you're seeing in terms of where people are living that there isn't as much clustering in the few big coastal communities of San Francisco and Boston and New York, and that people are moving to smaller or midtown city or mid-tier cities, and that they're then getting engaged in the industries that are really rooted there. Because again, you know, again if you're going to work in agriculture, um, you're not going to be doing that from San Francisco. That doesn't make any sense. Right. You better be doing that where the agriculture actually is. And so there's a real movement of people moving to these spaces of 
of, of investors supporting those spaces, of these ecosystems being built. This is something that Steve Case is very involved with, with you know, Re- Revolution, Rise of the Rest. And, uh, and I think that that's great because ultimately what that means is more access and more harnessed talent. Yeah. Steve, and Steve Case's Rise of the Rest is, is a great example because there's, it's been great to see over the last 20 years, you have people like him and other folks that have made um, entrepreneurship more tangible, I think, or, or created a picture where I can mm. plug into this tech stars and all those, you know, those kinds of things in the world where you can plug into incubators and grow. But I just don't think, um, I don't think to your point, I don't think a lot of people think about, um, the gaps in, you know, well, I guess the opportunities are everywhere, right? And they're not just in tech. People only seem to think about entrepreneurship as tech these days. Like, we got to mm-hmm. bring some. And it's not always the case. And like you said, a lot of times boring industries. I mean, heck, I, I was, I built a business in the tech taking, the test taking industry, right? So you mm-hmm. would sit at school and take your test and no, nobody right. ever thought, neither did I think, this is where I want to spend the rest of my career, right? <laughs> but we identified a problem. And if you can solve a problem in a really efficient or convenient or both kind of way, that's where opportunity really is. And that those opportunities are everywhere. They're in building, they're in waste management, they're in real estate, they're in everywhere. Like you said, insurance, industries that are boring, dentistry, those kinds of things. There's lots of opportunities. Anywhere you can find a problem to get solved is, uh, is where there's an opportunity for you to do some good work. That's right. And the, you, you brought up Naveen Jain, who I'd interviewed for the magazine recently. Naveen, incredibly successful entrepreneur, has launched you know, multiple gigantic businesses. He's a billionaire. And uh, he says, if you want to get into a space, you got to answer three questions. Why this? Why now? Why me? Uh, why this? What is the problem being solved? Uh, why is it needed in the world? Why now? What new technology, what new cultural expectations, what new anything has come along to make this the opportunity that is possible right now? And then why me? Why am I best situated to solve this? And the thing that I love about his perspective here is that it doesn't mean, why me doesn't mean because I have this particular knowledge set or because I have this particular background, but rather what he's saying is, because I am able to ask questions that other people aren't thinking to ask. He believes that it's perspective, it's outside perspective, it's the ability to challenge the fundamentals of something that other people aren't even considering that ultimately allows you to build into spaces that others maybe have tried and failed or have given up on or have spent their entire careers in but haven't actually innovated. Why this, why now, why me gets you pretty far. So Jason, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I know we could do this all day. Uh, I'm going to check the chicken one last time. Yeah, check, yeah, check that, that chicken with me. Let's see how we're okay, looking. Okay, baby, there we go. <laughs> I don't know if there's some entrepreneurship skills in chicken chicken roasting, but I'm there, baby. It's looking good. Get you some of that. Um, do you ever cook out, by the way, Jason? Is that a thing you do? Uh, it is not. I'll be honest with you. So I live in Brooklyn, New York. Oh yeah, and- hard to do there. A little hard to do, but got easier for me because after being in apartments the entire time that I live, which is, you know, most people are in apartments um, in New York. Uh, I, I moved here in 2008. Before that, I was in Boston, also in an apartment. Uh, in October, m- my family and I, we moved actually to a house. So if you go deeper into Brooklyn, Brooklyn's very big. 
if you go deeper into Brooklyn, you get into these residential spots where, uh, I mean, it doesn't, you know, for anybody who thinks residential, it doesn't look like the suburbs, doesn't look like what, <laughs> what I'm seeing of, of your home there. Um, uh, but it's, uh, but for Brooklyn, it's residential and it's, uh, and there are standalone houses. So we moved into a standalone house in October. We've got a backyard, a small backyard, but a backyard, which I'm very excited about. We haven't bought a grill yet. You know, it's been very cold, but we're gonna, okay. we're gonna, and, uh, okay, I can't wait. Well, listen, you call me, I'll send you the right seasonings. We'll get you a little okay. startup pack so you can <laughs> you can go up the, the learning curve really quick. Jason, That's I just wanted to finish by saying thank you guys and all your team and entrepreneur for what you do to sort of elevate the entrepreneurship industry for um, all the information. I know I was a young kid, fresh out of college, trying to suck up information. I didn't come from a background of entrepreneurs. I didn't really come from a community of entrepreneurs, at least in the way I was thinking of them. And so that magazine was the thing I could grab and read and learn from others. And so, you know, you guys are doing great work to do that. Thank you for all that you do. Oh, I really appreciate that. So generous. And I love to hear it. And what a great reminder that, you, you know, you do something, you build something. It's very, very hard to feel. You can't feel how it impacts people. You know, I put something out into the world. I don't know if people are talking about it, if they're reading it, yeah. if they're reading it right now, or they're listening to me. It's just impossible to know. But every once in a while, you hear somebody tells you that this thing that you made meant a lot. And uh, it's it's the reminder. It's the reminder to keep going. It does, Jason. I, I mean, in truth, I mean, I you know, I grew up as a as a guy that, you know, very blue collar background and like a couple generations removed from abject poverty. And so the, the idea that I would mm. be able to build a tech company was a far-fetched kind of thing. But luckily I had good teachers in school that really encouraged me. And then I would go to Barnes and Noble. And even if I didn't have enough money to buy, I shouldn't say that to the editor, but like, even if I didn't have enough, <laughs> yes, right. I would buy a coffee and flip through it and read Great. as much as I could. Right. And learn. And, um, I just learned a tremendous amount. So yeah, I, I think you guys are doing um, a great, I mean, just think about Mr. Jane and what you talked about. That's a great lesson on how being an outsider can be an advantage instead yep. of being uh, something that, you know, is a detractor for you. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I hope everybody goes and checks out, uh, build for tomorrow, Jason's book, uh, a great book about change. God knows we need to learn more about change in these days. And Jason, where else can they find you? Uh, yeah, I'll give you two other things, and I really look. I really appreciate your time and everything that you said, and those chickens, which unfortunately <laughs> I cannot I'll eat stick, today. I'll stick one in the mail, but I don't yeah, know if just stick nice it in the mail. Sure, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll arrive intact. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so you know, if you like podcasts, and I imagine you do, if you're listening to this one, I have a show called Help Wanted. With in Help Wanted, uh, me and best-selling money expert Nicole Lappin take on people's trickiest money, uh, 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 work problems. And so that often means listener calls. So we have people call in and, um, you know, they've got some kind of work challenge and we talk them through it. But also we just talk questions and give advice and get really raw and real. And so anyway, it's called Help Wanted. And then also I, have a, I write a newsletter called One Thing Better, where every week you get one thing that you can do to improve your work and build a career or company you love. And you can find that at One Thing Better. That's one O-N-E, One Thing Better dot email. Well, we'll have to have you on a future episode to tell us how the hell you have that much time in a week to get that much done, because <laughs> that's a lot of stuff for one guy to be doing. It but is. But Jason, and... thank you so much for being here. Thanks for, for encouraging me not to, to burn these chickens and for talking about entrepreneurship. We appreciate you, and we'll see you again soon. 
Oh, hey, thanks so much. Uh, have a good dinner. If you like this show, make sure you follow us on social media. Uh, Slow Smoke Business on TikTok. We're 20,000 followers strong there. Uh, and make sure you subscribe and like us. Give us five stars wherever you find your podcast. See you next time.